Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hello, my summertime comrades. How's it going? Perhaps we find you jogging along limply on a sweltering August morn, sweating your humanity into the thick, sultry air. Or maybe we find you on a treadmill in the health club, horrifying the jaded yentas with your dynamic rainbows of sweat-filled efforts. No? While I'm out on my back porch, you can hear the, the crickets chirping and the, I don't know, what are those, frogs and... Stuff like that. It's sun just set. It's late on a Friday night. But no matter where you are, we are here together once again for episode 3-295 of the Run Run Live podcast. And as Buckaroo Bonsai said, no matter where you go, there you are. Buckaroo Bonsai, by the way, is a great campy sci-fi movie with Peter Heller the original RoboCop, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, and a young Jeff Goldblum, and a bunch of Rastafari aliens from 1984. And the plot is, Dr. Bakaru a physicist, neurosurgeon, and test pilot, and rock musician, has to save the world by defeating a band of interdimensional aliens called Red Lectoids from Planet 10. That has me written all over it, right? Well, back on topic, today we have a long chat with Mike Wardian, American distance runner, who has been having an awesome run lately. I follow Mike on Facebook, and he's he's doing tons of races, and he always looks super happy. There's nothing like being in shape and healthy and being able to just run with passion and joy, and you can see it in Michael's eyes. In section one, I'll share a review of a book I read recently about challenger sales and how maybe you can apply some of those behavioral traits in your lives. And in section two, I'll talk about my dieting success over the the last few weeks. My training has been going really well, and I'm getting all my workouts in and nothing overtly hurts. This will be a modern miracle because it looks like I'm going to get through this hard training cycle without injuring myself, knock on wood. I'm starting to get confident about my chances at Pocatello at the end of the month. I've done my work, controlled all the variables that I can control, so now I just have to hold on to the end, stay healthy, consolidate my gains, and hope the circumstances are fortuitous for the battle. Either way... I'm super proud of this training cycle. I really focused. I kept my eye on the goal. I executed some pretty difficult training, and I stayed healthy. That's a worthy effort. I had an interesting week down in Atlanta. I stayed in one of those extended stay format hotels so I could buy groceries and cook my own dinners and have access to a fridge. And I also also got a rental car so I could get to my track and get to the grocery store for, for food and workouts. And if you follow me on Facebook, you know that I had to jump the fence at a middle school Thursday morning to get my workout in at the track. A bit of an adventure, a bit of a crime spree there by me, and I've also been getting in a fair amount of my hard workouts on the treadmill, which has its pros and cons. Um, also finished, almost finished, reading uh, the book Evolution of a Cro-Mag by that vegan crazy man, John Joseph. It's quite a story, and I would recommend picking it up. It's it's only available on Kindle because uh, it's out of uh, publishing. Hard copy. It's hard to believe some of the stuff he's been through. And frankly, I was reading it before I went to bed at night, and it was giving me nightmares. Very hard to describe. You'll have to read it for yourself. I'm going to get rid of uh, half a dozen or so pairs of shoes this weekend, and I'll give some to my to my brother, who has the same size foot as I do. And I'll ship the rest off to my sister in Indy. My wife was complaining about not being able to get the get to the uh, washing machine in the laundry room for the big pile of shoes. So how did I end up with 15 pairs of running shoes anyhow? How does that happen? 
Another issue I have in the summertime is my running shoes get soaked with sweat on these hard long runs, and they end up stinking like nuclear workout waste. And so here's a tip for you. Just throw them in the washing machine. It doesn't hurt them. There's nothing in a running shoe that's going to shrink or get bent or broken in the washing machine. And then you just air dry them. Put them out in the sun during the day, and they'll be good to go, and they won't stink anymore. And by the way, my sister, she's not wearing the shoes. She has kids that are... um that have feet my size. So, and the ones that she doesn't want, she can just give to back on my feet out there in Indy. They have a new chapter that she's been uh, helping. And she's been training away this summer too. And she's shooting for a qualifier this fall. It'll be her second marathon. So I told her she should do it because she ran that first marathon in the spring and only missed it by like 14 minutes without even training. So I said, hey, a little bit of training, you'll pick up that BQ, no problem. You can run Boston with me next year, maybe, if I run it. So, my friends, you know what they say. If life gives you lemons, you can use them to create salon-quality highlights in your hair. You add a quarter cup lemon juice to three quarter cups of water and rinse your hair with the mixture. Then sit in the sun until your hair dries. To maximize the effect, repeat once daily for up to a week. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. Six things that non-salespeople can learn from challenger sales. Emerging methodology points to behavioral cues for success. The newest methodology making the rounds, and there's always something making the rounds, is a book called The Challenger Sale. And I remember when the original article was written for Harvard Business Review back in 2009. It was a summary of research that blew everyone away because of the surprising results. Listening to the authors being interviewed by HBR staff back then, I was struck by how interesting the research was. The findings were counterintuitive to some of the sacred cows of sales dogma, but made perfect contextual sense to those of us with experience in the business world. The authors then expanded the core research into a full-length book, which I recently read, and a full-blown consulting methodology to go implement the behavioral change that they describe in Fortune 500 companies. This is the typical life cycle of these types of ideas. What starts as a genuine nugget of insight becomes an overblown methodology play. Unfortunately, sometimes the expansion of the nugget into a practice tends to dissipate the initial power of the core idea. But distractions aside, the original idea was powerful enough to sustain its altitude over the last few years. The wave seems to be cresting, and I've heard this methodology mentioned by three or four people independently over the last couple of weeks. So apparently, challenger sales is the idea of the moment in the corporate world. What is the big reveal that in 2009 kicked off this hype cycle? Well, the big reveal is that some of the core assumptions of what makes effective sales behavior are incorrect. And the way they figured this out, was to use a data study of their clients. And this is really the key because most non-salespeople and even salespeople see the sales process as some sort of voodoo that's wholly unquantifiable. The authors married some rigorous MBA school quant science with sales behavior and results. Then they derived insights from that data. So it was very scientific. So let's pause here for the uninitiated, and provide some context. A bit of a sales methodology history lesson is required to put the challenger sale into context. Broadly, broadly over the last 40 years, sales science has moved from simple product or transactional sales to complex solution sales. The original sales methodology was just to show up in front of a prospective customer with your product and explain to them all the cool features of the product and then ask for the order. That's a transactional sale. This led to the old sales as a numbers game theory because the more potential customers you got your product in front of, the more sales you got. In the 1970s and 80s, some smart folks in high tech and services world 
discovered that transactional selling wasn't all that effective in modern, complex situations and actually tended to commoditize what they were selling. Solution selling was born. Solution selling methodologies, they were born and they treated the sales process differently. Instead of showing up and pitching the product, the sales team would first discover what the customer's challenges and pains were and then propose a solution to those pains, highlighting the unique benefits and value of their solution in the process. And only then would they trot out the product and the features to support the solution. Many flavors of solution selling have rolled through the corporate world over the last 40 years, and for the most part, they were effective in matching up with selling large, complex solutions into large and complex organizations. Solution selling, when done right, creates a valuable match between what is being sold and what is needed. I tell you this because the challenger sales folks see the challenger methodology as the next generation, the successor methodology to solution sales. Now, one of the core assumptions of solution selling is that a relationship-focused behavior set by the sales team is key to sales. The assumption is that you have to ingratiate yourself into the customer organization, make friends, go native, and get on the inside to be successful in solution selling. And this was the first sacred cow that the challenger sale data slaughtered. The data showed that the relationship-focused approach made the sales team more interested in making friends than in challenging the customer. The data showed that the customer has enough friends And what the customer really wants is insight. The data showed that relationship selling clearly performed poorly in comparison. What behavior set performs well? Well, you guessed it, the challenger behavior set. The challenger salesperson brings insights that the customer has not considered. The challenger pushes the customer out of their comfort zone. In this way, the challenger changes the game. The data shows two important things. First, the customer wants to be challenged. And second, challenging the customer leads to more sales. The authors, they're correct in that customers are really getting tired of solution sales approaches. When a rep comes in looking to understand their challenges or participate in a value exchange, or do some discovery, the customer's spam alert goes off. They've just been led through too many non-value-added solution sales campaigns that were thinly-veiled attempts to railroad a product down their throats. But what are these challenger behaviors, and how can a non-salesperson use them? Why do you care? A challenger salesperson has six specific traits. The first is they offer a unique perspective to the customer. The first is the concept of bringing genuine and useful insights to the prospective customer. Don't come to them with products or solutions or company brochures. Bring them an idea that is challenging. Teach them something. What a great insight for all of your interactions. Think about how much better your world would be if you made a point of bringing insights into all your business interactions, all your community and relationship interactions. Wow! People would be lining up to talk to you. The second behavior is to have strong two-way communication skills. Notice something interesting here. These insightful interactions aren't about you and your problems and your products. They're focused on the other and helping the other. There's a core lesson for you. The great challengers are also great communicators and storytellers. They know how to put the person they are talking to into the story so that the other person internalizes the message. Can you do this? Can you practice this behavior in your interactions? And the third attribute is that they know the individual customer's value drivers. Imagine that. Not only do I bring you insights about your business, not only do I communicate well and put you in the story, but I also understand what's important to you. I wish the people who sat next to me on airplanes knew how to do this. It's empathy, people. Try it on for size. See if it helps your interactions and your relationships. 
The fourth trait is that they can identify the economic drivers of the customer's business. And this point and the remaining three behavior points are very important and relate to the challenging part of the challenger. Culturally, most people, not all people, but most people are uncomfortable talking about numbers and money. By being a person who can comfortably talk about business drivers and money, meaning you can, you can discuss data without emotion, you're providing a wonderful service. You can lead the conversation with people, with the people you work with, the people you live with. You can be the person who converses easily about hard questions and hard topics. This is a tremendous value-added position to be in. It is a way to help people get what they want by understanding the math behind what they want. And the fifth point in the same theme is the challenger is comfortable discussing money. Again, there's so much baggage tied up with talking about money that if you can lead your relationships through it, you'll be a hero. Money is charged with emotion in our world, but it really isn't. We're the ones who are charged with emotion. Money just is what it is. I've always been impressed with the ease of how great salespeople and business people discuss money. If you can practice this and carry it over into your life, it will pay dividends. Be good at talking about communicating hard emotional topics. You'll be a social rock star. And finally, number six, they have the ability to pressure the customer. Now, this is what leaders do. They have the conviction of their position, and they're not afraid to be insistent. They lead the discussion and set the tone. They know that true success lies in discomfort. They push that edge. And one of my basic rules is that I know I'm having an important conversation if it is uncomfortable. If everybody agrees, that's a conversation that isn't creating any value. Fight for your principles. Convince your stakeholders what's right. Have those conversations that push the edge into discomfort and get things done. Now, I'm glad the challenger sales methodology is getting airplay now because I think that these are behavioral attributes that we all need to think about, not just salespeople. And now for today's featured interview. Hello? Ah, you're in. You and I talked last on, let's see, it was August 2012, so it was two years ago. That was the last time we talked. So I don't know what you were up to in August 2012, but it seems like you've been doing a lot between then and now. Actually, that's right before I got hurt. What was your injury, Michael? I had five stress fractures of my pelvis and five hernias. Yikes. How did you do that? Running? (laughs) Yeah, all running. Wow. Were you running on the stress fractures? Yeah, I think so. I was running on them for most of 2012, and then eventually I just couldn't do it anymore. I just kind of had to take a break until January of 2013, and then I started running again, and have been running without injury and, and really happily since then. That's probably why you see I look so happy and everything, because I'm just so excited just to be out there and competing and, and being a part of everything. Yeah, so that's why I wanted to give you a call, because I saw you at Comrades, right? You know, I yeah. saw that you had done Comrades and did pretty well there, and I saw you, uh, like, I think the last weekend you did a Spartan race, you've been doing all this stuff, and I said every yeah. picture I see you, and you're smiling, so you must have the secret, you must have it figured out. Yeah, it's it's been, ah, it's just been such a crazy, amazing journey and experience this year, and in years past, and yeah, I'm just... Uh, you know, I'm just happy I'm building back my form from coming back from the injuries. It's, you know, it's going on two years now. So it's a slow process to try to find that, you know, I'm I'm running pretty well. I ran 223 in Boston and uh, had some good results and some ultras throughout the course of the year and have really just gone crazy. And just this last month trying to do some different stuff. I did a three-mile swim two weekends ago, and then last weekend did a, you know, my first Spartan race, a Spartan sprint, and got shown that I need to work on some upper body strength, and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I made it through the swim, and, and I knew I wasn't a, a, a super swimmer, but I, I made it three miles in the ocean, so that was pretty cool, and in between that, I did a couple of 5Ks, 10Ks, and 5-milers, and was able to get some of my speed back, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to I've got a big race coming up in France called the UTMB, but before that, I get to 
take part in this really incredibly beautiful looking race out in Squamish. Uh, one of the, the guys, uh, this guy Gary Robbins is putting it on and it's called the Squamish 50 mile and 50k. So you do a 50 mile on Saturday and a 50k on Sunday. So I think that'll be two weeks before UTMB. So some good training right before I go over to France. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't be happier. I've had a pretty incredible year and was able to qualify for the um, 50K and 100K world teams for the U.S., and so I'm going to be going and competing for Team USA, which is always a big deal to me, and got some marathons in the fall and going to work on trying to get my Olympic trials qualifier in the men's marathon, trying to wow. run sub-218, so lots of different stuff on the horizon and on the on the docket, and yeah, I just I just can't wait for it all and just working hard to make sure I'm ready. So what are you doing to not get, you know, stress fractures again? Well, it's a plug, but um, I've been running in Hoka's, actually. So since I got hurt, I've been running in Hoka's so for about two years now, and I haven't had any issues with my body and um, have been really, really pleased with the way they're allowing me to train and, and to really compete at the highest level again and, and to do so really safely. So, you know, being and I'm also being really cautious about how many miles I'm putting on myself and making sure I'm not, if something doesn't feel right to try to, you know, not afraid to, you know, back it down for a day and maybe go a little bit easier than I was in the past. So that's something that I've been really working to make sure that I stay on top of fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. Reading your body a little bit better, not running when you're super fatigued, right? Well, yeah, and then I think the other thing that's been a big factor is our youngest son is epileptic, and he's been seizure-free for about the same amount of time that I've been healthy. So I think, you know, having him being stable and, and knowing that, you know, the, the medication and, and the the things we're doing to try to keep him safe is, um, you know, allowing us a little bit less stress and, and a little bit more recovery. So, I you know, I think it all kind of goes together and, you know, just having a a really stable time with how his epilepsy is and and us being able to kind of know that everything's in order has has made the recovery a little bit easier and and then you know I've got uh, great support at work and they're allowing me to kind of take advantage of all these opportunities and and then sure my family with Jennifer and the kids and you know they're very uh, accommodating to allowing me to jaunt around the world yeah so, um, you doing anything nutritionally different from what you were doing? Because a lot of times when I see the, you know, the the guys getting the the fractures, it's because they were they were, you know, they weren't fueling properly. Fueling's the wrong word. They just weren't eating right. Yeah, um, I thought I was eating pretty healthy. I I think that yeah, I've I've been pretty lucky. I I was able to pick up a um, nu- nutritional sponsorship with Vitargo, um, which is. Um, a really good carbohydrate so that's that's a really good source of energy and then uh another sponsorship with um sweet green a local um salad and just healthy place to eat restaurant in in washington dc and so i've been eating like so much more uh greens and vegetables and and i've always been a big fruit eater so you know i think adding in the the salads and you know supplementing that with some of the vitargo um and then especially vitargo during races i think has allowed me to kind of stay healthy and and to just feel really clean and and i think that's been a big change and then i've also kind of started eating a little bit more fat and protein um sure especially since the fractures i don't think i was probably eating as much protein as i thought i was so i've really kind of augmented that and i think that's made a big difference and i can kind of tell if i'm not getting a lot now or i'm not getting as much as i my body is asking for that i make sure that i am really cognizant of that it's it's pretty incredible like if i if i am low on protein my body will be very quick to let me know what's the symptoms of uh of the imbalance what do you feel i feel um achy it's really weird yeah and i feel like a little bit and, it, and then it makes me like nervous that something's going on. And then as soon as I eat some protein, then I feel better. So it's it's really yeah. awesome. Like it's like, hey man, you should probably eat something, some protein. And then I do, and my body's like, all right, thanks. Uh, yeah, I feel and better. it's um, 
it's it's funny it's funny you say that. I'm in a pretty um hard cycle right now myself and I've been really focusing on eating clean and I'm not sure if it's the stuff I'm not eating or the you know, the green leafy stuff that I am eating or the right. or just the balance. But um my like a lot of my tendonitis got better. Oh, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just just the aches and pains, like you're saying, sort of went away. Yeah. I mean even if it's in our heads, I don't know. Then yeah, right. so what? God love yeah, God love the placebo effect, right? <laughs> exactly. Like they're probably like, yeah, right. Doesn't a nutritionist is going to hear us talking and be like, yeah, those guys don't know what they're talking about. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, for me, it seems to be working, and so that's that's kind of how you know I'm pretty results driven. So if 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 I'm getting good results, you know, then something's going right. So I'm going to kind of roll with it until it doesn't work anymore. So it sounds like you picked up a lot of good sponsorship over there since you got injured too. That they, Those guys help you with like your, uh, your travel around the world and that sort of stuff and take care of you. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I've been, yeah, really blessed. I mean, I've got pretty much some of the biggest uh, brands um, supporting me and, and they're allowing me to do like so many amazing adventures like you know this year just alone I was in New Zealand and the North Pole and Ethiopia and South Africa and just over in Germany and Italy and then I'm going back to France and Qatar and so yeah it's, it would be impossible without the the level of support that I'm lucky and blessed enough to have I mean it's just it, it wouldn't be possible for for me to do it any other way, and so yeah, it's it's been great, and it just it's it's a nice group of people also, so that makes it even better, you know. It's not just a faceless sponsor or sponsors; it's like people I am friends with and have become even really better friends with, and so you know, it's it's cool. And the other thing is, it's all products that you know, work and that I kind of believe in. So sure. it's really, it's really easy to be sponsored by something that you really dig, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like you, you, you're, you're passionate about it and people can tell, you know, and it's not just like, right. oh, well, it's, you know, it's legit and it's, it's real and authentic, you know? And so that's what I kind of love about it is I, I'm a big believer in these things and I'm lucky enough to have been able to partner up with, with these companies yeah. and, and trying to promote their stuff and in turn like they're giving me you know the chance to do what I love to do which is you know try to find out what uh what's possible and 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 you know I've had some some good success this year but I've also had some things that um, didn't go as I planned and you know I had to drop out of a race um uh in Germany that you know, I was only 10k from the finish line and ended up getting dehydrated and got to visit a German hospital to get an IV. And so, you know, there's definitely ups and downs, but I think that's kind of, you know, why we're all out there is trying to find the find the limit and then try to find a way around it and kind of expand yeah. what what we're able to do. Yeah, and what I find when traveling and racing is the logistics is the hardest part, right? So just having somebody coordinate the stuff for you. It would be such a big, big help because, you know, the the race itself is hard, but the logistics around it end up being the hardest part, you know, if you have to do it all yourself. Yeah, I do. Actually, I do, <laughs> I do most of that myself. That's what I do for for my real job, too, in, in shipping and logistics. So it's, it's yeah. kind of big a deal. So, yeah, tell me about Comrades. That's on my bucket list. I want to get down there one of these years. Ah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's one of my favorite races. It's 18,000 to 20,000 people all running ridiculously far together. Uh, so it's an 89 kilometer race, which is about 56 miles or so. And it's yeah. on road and it runs from Peter Maritzburg to Durban one year, which is they call a downhill year. And then it runs from Durban to Peter Maritzburg the next year. So alternates year after year. And it's got a huge, rich tradition. And it's one of the races that is probably something that you have to experience. If you're an ultra runner and you're into the culture and, and it's just unbelievable. It's played on national television in South Africa from the starting, well, before the start to the, fin you know, past the finish, 
you know, if you don't finish uh, under the cutoff, then you don't get a time, you don't get a medal, and you could be like one step away from the finish line, and it doesn't matter. Like in the stadium, and they don't let you slide. It's, it's something that everybody in South Africa knows about. It's thing, and and most people know somebody that's done it—a brother, a sister, a mother, and nephew. Uh, and most people sometime in their life will do it. They call it the comrades. They don't even, and it's amazing. And people go to the same spot. It's kind of like, have you run the Boston Marathon before? Or? A couple times, yeah. Okay, so if you've run Boston, you know how there's people that go to certain spots year after year and they set up yeah, yeah. barbecues. It's like that, but yeah, so. for 56 miles. So like yeah. people will go out with their same group of friends and work an aid station or uh, go to cheer by the local dealership or and it and it's like it doesn't matter any other race the entire year they only care how you do at Comrades and maybe Two Oceans which is in Cape Town but those are the two yeah. the two races on the calendar in South Africa that are the end all and be all if you're a, a South African athlete. I mean, there's there's some movement now to more people around the world are doing trail, but it's it's still the biggest thing in South Africa as far as I know. So how did, how did you do this year? Uh, actually, I think it was my worst one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you were, you were uh, smiling. Yeah, oh, totally. I loved it, but I I didn't do as well as I wanted. I think I ran six oh eight, and I think my best is I think this was my fourth one, and I think I've my best was uphill, which is from Durban to Peter Maritzburg, and I ran five fifty ish. I don't know what happened actually. I just I had great support. I ran for Toyota and down there, which is one of the clubs and. And they were really, really on top of it. And I usually get stomach issues, and I didn't really have any stomach issues. I just kind of, I just kind of lost my momentum. Like I was right where I wanted to be until about a little bit around halfway or so. Like right, kind of not in the top ten because everyone goes out so fast. But like in the chase pack, maybe in the top fifty, top sixty. But you know, it's not very far. A couple minutes and. And then it started to get where I should have been able to kind of hold that pace that I was on or pick it up. And I just, just kind of fell off the pace and just kind of never was able to get, get back on. And I, I'm i still shy. I, I'm not really sure what happened. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. So yeah. um, well, that was that was a little disappointing. I mean, I still ran fast and I ran a time that was good enough to get me on the 100K world team for the U.S. So, I mean, that in, in itself was kind of a really positive outcome but yeah I, I was i was disappointed i wanted to be in the top 10 and i think i was 30th or in the yeah maybe 36 i don't know 36 37 so definitely not where i should have been or wanted to be but you know it was it was one of those races where i'm, I'm not quite sure why i didn't it didn't go like i wanted I mean, I, would, yeah. I wish I could say it was like, oh, I got, you know, there was an excuse, but there, there really, I had no, there no good reason why I shouldn't have been able to do better. Yeah, it's it's all relative. It's it's funny. I remember talking to Josh, Josh Cox, and he had, uh, he had just won yeah, the uh, California. Yeah, he no, but he, this was back when he had just won the California International uh, Marathon. He was whining about not making his time. You were in that race too. Uh, well, no, I ran with him at Comrades one year. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Comrades. No, no, no I didn't run with him in that race. It was the same thing. He was like, I didn't get my time. Uh, you know, I'm so disappointed. I'm like, yeah, but you won. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's all what your expectations are, right? Like, yeah. it's it's funny, you know, like, uh, and and uh, no disrespect to anyone else. It's just like you you have a goal in mind, and, and if you don't make your goal, then it I mean, it's not a failure, obviously, because, you know, you still competed and you still did well. It's just like, and especially like it just makes you a little disappointed that you, I mean, you put the training in to perform and then for some reason you weren't able to achieve your the result you were looking for. So it makes you kind of like, well, maybe I didn't do what I should have done or I wasn't able to execute, which, you know, that's that's something that you need to be able to figure out. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know, but it's it's fine. It was great. I mean, I had a terrific time. And I, the the other thing about comrades, I don't if you've not been, you probably don't know, but once you go, they'll get you. They hook you with all these little um, incentives to keep running. So one of them is if you run it ten times, they retire your number, and it becomes your number for the. Oh, that's hurting. cool. Oh, it's it's unbelievably cool, and you get like a green jacket and. You have your special number on it. So, like, my number is, like, I don't know, 57,000 or something ridiculous because all the people that have already gotten green numbers, right? So, like, yeah. it's, just, it's just super cool. So, like, once you get, you know, I've got four, so now I'm next year I'll be at five, so I'm halfway to my green number, right? Like, yeah. there's not a lot of Americans that have a green number, so it'd be cool to be one of them. Yeah, it's good to have these things, right? So whatever they are, you know, 50 states or whatever, these things, just something to uh, keep your head in the game and uh, some of the track towards, right? Oh, I think it's brilliant. I mean, like, comrades, they're they're really clever. They have, like, a back-to-back medal. So, like, if you do, like, this year was downhill, so next year will be uphill. So, like, if you do, you know, that way they get you for two years right off the bat, right? So then you But then after that, like they have different medals for different times. So like once you get into it, you're like, oh, I got a bronze. But then like you know, the <laughs> highest is gold. So that's the top 10. And then between the top 10 and six hours, there's a Wally Hayward medal, which I've won because I wasn't in the top 10. I was 11, but I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't a silver. So like, I, I was talking to somebody, and I was thinking, like, it would be cool to try to get every single medal. So, like, a gold, a Wally Hayward, which is really hard to get because it means you ran really fast, but you didn't get a gold, right? So, since yeah. I've already ended up in that position, you know, maybe if I was able to get a top 10, that's one of my ultimate goals in life is to get a top 10 at Comrade. So, you know, that's uh, that's on the bucket list. So, yeah, maybe if you go next year, I'll see you down there. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So, uh, what's coming up on the on the calendar for you? I was supposed to do a stage race starting this weekend, but it's not going to happen because had a little bit of a conflict. So, um, I've got my next scheduled race right now is the Squamish 50 mile and 50k on August sure. 15th through the 17th. The ones I was mentioning earlier, and then yeah. the uh, North Face Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc on um, the end of the month, so that's like August 25th through the 31st, and then Twin Cities Marathon is for sure, and that's October 5th. That's the uh, one I'm gonna try to get my qualifier for the Olympic Trials at, and then Marine Corps, the end of October, and then the 50k World Championships in Doha. Uh, that's on Halloween, October 31st, and then the 100K World Championships on November 21st in uh, Doha also. Wow, you're stringing these things really close together. Now, how do you how do you recover in time to do that? I mean, that's like that's like two or three alters a month in some cases there. Yeah, exactly. And well, and that's like not counting like you know, I may do another Spartan race, and um, I'd I'd like to do. Uh, well, because now I'm hooked there, right? Because like, I've yeah. done the sprint, so like if I do the, I don't know, the super and the beast or something, then I can, and I think I, if there's more running involved, then once I practice some of the obstacles, I think I can really improve, so I, I think that would be pretty rad to do some more of those, and yeah, I, yeah, I'm so excited Spartan, about that. Yeah, so Spartan's the one where they take it really seriously, right? They actually time counts and all that stuff, right? Oh yeah, it's super hard. Yeah, so I, yeah, yeah, you should you should hook up with the dude who owns that. I forget his name, but he's a really interesting cat. He's like from. Oh, have you talked Bronx. to him or? No, I haven't talked to him, but he's a. I've heard him interviewed. He's a really interesting entrepreneur, a really hardcore guy. Yeah, actually, they seem and they seem like I was really impressed with how efficient it was. It was one of the most well-run events I've been to. Um, they were really on top of it, really impressive throughput of people, well done. Yeah, it, it was very impressive. So yeah, yeah, I would definitely be interested in talking to them more. So you're running in uh, you're you, you're running in the Hokus. You do all your, like you can do speed work and everything in those, or 
Is that 100 percent? I do, yeah. I've run. That's uh, what I ran the 223 in. I've run, um, yeah, like yeah, pretty pretty fast, like oh, what 16 something 5k. So not my best 5k by any means, but just you know, that my first 5k really pretty quick. I've run. I think a 109 half in them, maybe 108. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you can move in them. And then they just came out with the Clifton, which I've been running in for about a week or so. I've already done a couple speed workouts in them, and they're pretty sweet. So those just came out this month. Um, huh. And they have the Haka coming out also, which are a little bit lighter. So I think maybe seven, eight ounces or something. So they're pretty, pretty sweet shoes. And then you know, you have the normal, they have the Bondi B and the Stinson sure. Trail, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Armac, yeah. and the Conquest are what I really like, too. Like, those are those are some just nice shoes. So, yeah, yeah I've, I, I've been I've been running in Hoka, like I said, for about two years now, and um, I couldn't be happier. They're just, they're just keeping me safe and allowing me to just really push, and yeah, uh, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I found the same thing when I was coming back from my uh, plantar fasciitis that they really helped. So. Oh yeah, I I had that a little bit, and once I switched to Hoka's, I haven't had it, so I've been really pumped about that. Yeah. So. That's All right. Like a, that's just a mean a mean injury. It's like it's not it's not enough to stop you from running. It just kind of sucks all the life and fun out of it. Exactly. It just makes you miserable all the time. Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't stop you from running. I mean, you can still run. It just hurts a lot. Yeah. Like and then it hurts. Then it hurts after. Yeah. Yeah, which sucks. I mean, it's just it's yeah. just mean because it's yeah. not debilitating. I mean, you can run yeah. on it. It's just it's just not fun. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, so I'm sorry that you've been suffering from that, but I'm glad that you're feeling better. Oh no, I got over it too. I'm in the middle of a comeback too. I think I was probably just in sync with you i had to take uh almost it took 18 months to get through it so uh oh, yeah i'm I'm just coming back now too i'm in a deep cycle oh good i'm well, gonna glad. do what, what I, do you I got a marathon i got a marathon in uh, pocatello idaho there's a marathon the end of oh, August cool. that i'm shooting for yeah it's pretty <laughs> cool it's, awesome. it's a it's like a four thousand foot elevation drop they push you up to the top of this mountain and they uh, and you run down from there. It's really pretty. Small marathon. Wow, that sounds like, I, don't, really... I don't know, a thousand people, something. That's the way I like them. Oh, that sounds really nice. All right, yeah. I'm gonna let you go. What uh, you have any like uh, web links or a blog or anything that folks can uh, find you at? Definitely, yeah. So like, uh, you can definitely check out my website, which is just mikewardian.com. So that's M-I-K-E-W-A-R-D-I-A-N, and then I'm on all the social media platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I have an athlete page. My little, my normal page is full now. So sorry about that, but you can definitely, um, check me out there. And then, you know, I'm always posting photos from runs and adventures and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged. So, and if anyone needs me, they can get me at mwardian at rocketmail.com and I do coaching and speaking and all that kind of stuff too so if anyone needs anyone for that or they're looking for help with something or just have a question reach out and I'll get right back to you all right all right well it was great talking to you good luck with all your uh, everything you got going on man you got a lot of balls in the air yeah thanks man and good luck to you I hope you have fun at the race oh I will you know it all right right. cheers talk to you soon Ciao. Yeah. Bye. Hitch up your tights because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Lean and mean. How I made weight for my race. The big story this week is my weight and nutrition. You remember I was whining about being jiggly fat last couple of weeks, so... I did what I do when something is important. I focused on it, came up with a plan, and executed. And over the last few weeks, last two, three weeks, I have dropped from a high of 196 pounds in June to just over 180 pounds this morning. And I intend to go into my target race in the mid-170s. Oh my gosh, Chris, the inquiring masses inquire. 
How on earth did you do this? Did you find a magic pill? Did you do paleo? Are you a vegan? What's your secret? Well, yeah, so about that. Sorry, it turns out the secret is exercise and eating healthy and consciously, but the specific steps are, here are those steps. First thing you have to do is you have to commit to the change or the goal. Whether it's weight loss or exercise or anything, most people aren't committed, so they fail after a couple of days. And another principle here is to expect it to be difficult at times, especially in the beginning. For any project involving change, you go through three phases. First, in the early phase, it's extremely uncomfortable, but you can usually get through that because you have the momentum from your initial commitment. The second phase is actually the trickiest because you're still uncomfortable, but you've lost your initial commitment. So that's a hard one to get through. And the third phase is where you internalize the change and it becomes part of your normal. And you can still relapse after that, but there will be reverse resistance to that change. And my point is to get an understanding of these phases into your big brain so you can have the appropriate expectations and strategies to get through them, especially that that second phase where it's still kind of hard and you've lost your momentum and you haven't got to your goal yet. Step two for me was to get a coach. I'm going to get Rachel on my podcast to talk about methodologies, but for me, she didn't really have to do much because I was already committed and I already knew the basic principles of clean eating. Where she came in handy was to tweak some of my nutritional balances and to hold me accountable. The diet itself that I've been following is fairly unremarkable. I eat 2,000 calories a day. I log all my food. I weigh in each morning when I'm at home and near a scale. I eat food with lots of vegetables and fruits and leafy green things, and it's not any of the current popular easy-to-label cult diets. Of course, the definition of a diet is what you don't eat, so my don't-eat list since June has included uh, beer, wine, alcohol of any kind, dairy products for the most part, bread and pasta for the most part, my standard suburban too lazy to make dinner, pick up the phone options like pizza, Chinese food, Chipotle, you know, that kind of stuff. Most packaged foods, stuff I never ate anyhow, like soda, candy, desserts, and yes, my nemesis, potato chips. Now, I'm not slavishly anti-dairy or anti-meat. I just try to try to minimize and keep it clean so I can stay within my 2,000 calorie goal for the day. So step four is planning. If you know you've got a certain calorie total and you want to fill it with healthy food, you do have to think ahead and do some preparation and procurement. This is especially true for me where I have been traveling extensively over the last few weeks. I have to do my best to avoid the situation where I'm trapped without food and starving while surrounded by opportunities to make poor nutritional decisions, like in an airport. Step five is just to execute every day. Get up and focus on what you're doing and what you're going to do that day to meet your plan, and at the end of your day, you'll get to your goal. So let me take a shot at addressing some obvious questions. First, first, how did I come up with 2,000 calories a day, and how do I log my food? Well, for my calorie, my daily calorie count, I just use the MyFitnessPal wizard, the goal-setting wizard, to come up with a number that made sense. And I know from experience that with my activity, my size, my age, and other factors, that number somewhere between 1,500 and 2,500 calories is within the, you know, the good boundary for me. Since I'm in training right now, 1,500 calories would be a starvation diet for me and not appropriate. I'm trying to meet a race goal, and that means fueling properly and not damaging myself. The bottom line is that it really doesn't matter what number you pick as long as it's reasonable. You use the wizard and start with a number in the middle of the recommended range. You can adjust it as you go. It's just a target. If you can get within plus or minus 300 calories a day, that's great. The problem with the calorie targets is that people start to game them. They forget the point is eating healthy, and they start playing games. Like, if I skip lunch, I can have a bowl of Ben & Jerry's. You know, the calorie count is just a ruler. It's just a guideline to use to make sure you're in the neighborhood of your goals and to give you some boundaries to make eating decisions. So focus on eating well, not on weight loss. 
I log all my food as best I can in my fitness pal. And you have to be careful because some of the food definitions that people have added are totally wrong. And you can really screw up your calorie counts. Here's a couple of time-saving tips for my fitness pal. If you eat the same thing for a major meal, you can use uh, the quick tools to copy that meal from a previous day to today's diary. And that saves you, for instance, if you're eating uh, the same three supplements every day, you don't have to enter them three times. You can just copy the previous day. If there's something complex that you eat frequently, like for me, it's a smoothie, has a bunch of ingredients in it, or a big salad has a bunch of ingredients in it, you create a recipe for those so that you don't have to enter the individual ingredients every time. You can just tag the recipe. You can just say, I had one of my salads or I had one of my smoothies. And you really want to get the MyFitnessPal app on your phone because you can use the barcode scanner for things that come in packages with barcodes like almond milk and nuts and hummus and health bars, those sort of things. And these will quickly give you the manufacturer's nutritional breakdown, which is pretty close. If you get stuck, just estimate your calories by searching for something similar or just plug in a total. I've done that as sometimes I said, you know what? It's 500 calories. <laughs> um, and I, I give Rachel access to my food diary so she can hold me accountable and make suggestions. And if anybody else wants to look at it, I don't care. I think I'll op I open it up to the world. And if I make a mistake, I just move on. Another question you might have is, what am I eating? What does my typical day look like? Well, breakfast for me is, as it always has been, a bowl of oatmeal with blueberries, raw almonds, and honey. And this is what I've always eaten, and I didn't really need to change anything here. Rachel wanted me to add in some healthy fats, but I'm not going to do that for breakfast. <laughs> the other big change she influenced me into was cutting back my coffee intake to one or two cups from, I think it was six to eight cups. And that was a pretty rough transition for me and took about a week for me to feel normal again. So during the morning, you know, nine, ten o'clock, I, I eat a couple of pieces of fruit, maybe a banana, you know, a peach, a pear, an apple, whatever. And then at lunch, I have some kind of big salad uh, with my homemade oil and vinegar dressing. And the one change Rachel gave me there was to get some more protein into my lunch, uh, which it was a challenge because I'd always get to the end of the day and I'd be starving because I hadn't had any protein. So I've been adding in some almond milk mixed with vegan protein powder. Uh, stir that stuff up, and that gives you a better balance, makes you feel fuller. And during the afternoon, I eat some more fruit and maybe a health bar of some sort. You know, those are about 200 calories. They typically have some nuts and stuff in them, which gives you some more protein. I might have some more almond milk or, or the uh, vegan protein powder in the almond milk, depending on what I have with me. Uh, for dinner, I usually have about 800 calories left uh, to work with, so that's a nice-sized dinner. I'll eat some sort of healthy vegetable dish or, or something like that. Uh, fortuitously, my daughter, who is home from college, decided to go vegan for the month of July. So I'd come home to some wonderful experiment every night, and it was uh, it was awesome. Sometimes I still do binge a little at night, but when I do, I try to make it healthy. Like one night I had sat on the couch and ate an entire container of red pepper hummus with yellow beans from my garden. So yeah, you know, it was filling and it was uh, gluttonous, but it was probably only 600 healthy calories, right? <laughs> so it really didn't matter. And, you know, another question, what have I done to stay on target while traveling? Well, the last couple of weeks, I brought food with me in my carry-on, including salads from my garden and throwaway containers. I also stocked up on stopgap foods like Cliff Bars and other bars, and I threw some of that vegan protein powder in a baggie so I could mix it up with in a water bottle if I had to. And this past week, I also opted to stay at an extended-stay type hotel with a kitchenette so I could cook my own meals. And I also rented a car so I could go to the grocery store as well as get to the track for my workouts. I cooked a lot. I cooked some quinoa and some steamed broccoli and that kind of stuff at night. When I did have to eat a business meal in the last couple of weeks in a restaurant, I just got whatever version of the grilled whatever salad plate they have. Typically, there's going to be a grilled chicken salad or a grilled uh, salmon salad. And you get that, and you get a vegetable, you know, a steamed vegetable on the side. And for lunches, you can get away with a grilled chicken salad or even a cob salad, and those won't do too much damage. Those are like six to 800 calories. They're not that bad. 
So a big tip for you would be to focus on eating healthy and not losing, not focus on losing weight. If you screw up and fall off the wagon for a meal, don't stress about it. Just start from where you are and try to do better next time. One key benefit is, is that I'm training. So some of my workouts burn two to three thousand calories and I'm only running four days a week, but even one of my step up runs burns like a thousand calories. And this makes it easy for me to lose weight very quickly just by eating healthy. I already have the calorie burn and the deficit. So all I got to do is really just eat normal. <laughs> the big question is, how do I make this sustainable? You know, when I'm not training going forward, and I really don't know the answer. I've asked Rachel, and she just said, keep doing what you're doing, which I'm not sure is sustainable or not, but we'll see. Maybe small changes will add up. And we'll see what happens, especially when I start to work that uh, that beer back in. <laughs> The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Ah, uh, yes, my friends. Another Run Run Live podcast up in that can. Somewhere in the last couple months, we passed, I think, the six-year anniversary, I think, near as I can figure. We started in July of 2007, so what's that, six or seven years? I don't know. And we have consistently delivered an, an invaluable stream of mediocre running-related content to you that whole time. I'm refreshing the format, as I said before, the format of the show at 300 episodes, and I'm going to try to bring in more user-generated content and some fresh voices. I have a number of guests' uh, interviews queued up, which means somebody else doing the interview, not me, which will give some uh, give our community an opportunity to practice their interview skills, but mostly just save a lot of work for me. <laughs> in the <laughs> last few shows uh, before 300, I'm going to bring Coach on to talk through my training cycle and my strategy for Pocatello, give you a little real-world case study action there. And also, I've browbeat Rachel, uh, my nutritionist, to come on and drop some nutritional smarts on us, uh, give you a little case study there as well. And I'm in the midst of writing up a review on a couple of things that pe people send me this stuff. First was the Solomon folks. They sent me some shoes, shirts, short from their city park campaign. And I really didn't understand the point of these products at first until I realized, it, realized that they're intended to play on the park run movement. And then it all made sense. And I'll explain that in my review. I also got a pair of shoes from Asics. So I selected, I think they're called J33s. It's a light neutral racing shoe. And I did a couple tempo runs in them down at the track this week. And they're pretty sweet, pretty nice. So I got that going for me. We'll finish up with the inspirational story. I've heard this inspirational story on a bunch of other podcasts, so I think you've heard this inspirational story, too. It's the starfish story. Here's how it goes. A man was walking down the beach, and thousands of starfish had been washed up on the shore by a storm, and a child was throwing them back in the water. And the man says, what are you doing? You can't make any difference with those thousands of starfish. And the child responds while throwing a starfish, I made a difference for that one. Now, I've, like I said, I've heard this story told many times by self-help type gurus, but they never finish the story. So there's more to this story. So to continue, it turns out that that particular starfish was on the shore because it was sick. It had the great starfish plague, similar to starfish Ebola. And when it was thrown back in, it infected the rest of the starfish populations, causing a global mass extinction of starfish. And this in turn caused the ocean ecosystem to collapse. But in an ironic twist, great white sharks, due to the extreme evolutionary pressure, rapidly evolved into mutant land-dwelling carnivores and proceeded to depopulate the cities. So really, the moral of this story is don't tell me pithy morality tales because I'll just ruin it. See you out there.
Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm CYKT Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. You can find it there. And it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff. And let me know if I can help. Ciao.